Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. I'm Hemant Mehta, and I'm flying solo today. You're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. By the way, we now have a merchandise shop on the website. So if you want your podcast swag, and you know you do, go to our website and click on the store tab. John W. Loftus should be a Christian. Uh, He attended and graduated from Great Lakes Christian College, Lincoln Christian University, and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, where he learned under apologist William Lane Craig. So he knows Christianity very, very well. But he spent the last several years debunking the faith. His numerous books include Why I Rejected Christianity, Why I Became an Atheist, and The Outsider Test for Faith. His latest book is, strangely, called How to Defend the Christian Faith. So, John, thanks for for being with me. And, okay, I'll bite. Why are you giving advice now to the other side? (laughs) Well, it's good to be on the program here, I need to say, first off. Um, Well, I decided that it would be provocative, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, an atheist writing how um, here's how you defend Christianity sounds intriguing. What exactly are you yeah. trying to do? Yeah, and, and I do it so sincerely. It's just that, uh, you know, if you read through the book, you'll find that in order to defend the Christian faith, you have to sacrifice your intellect to do that, I think, you know. But it is uh, provocative in the same sense that um, I, I play billiards, I play eight ball and nine ball. And um, players like to teach other players how to play better pool. And we do that generously and willingly because we want the competition to rise, you know, and uh, as the competition gets better, so do we get better, you know, uh, those who of us who are teaching the young beginners. And uh, so I want to, you know, um, teach them how to do it right. Um, and at the same time, by doing so, they will find it's... Uh, you know, an impossible task, if you will. <laughs> what are the biggest... So you're someone who's debated a lot of Christians over the years. So you know exactly the arguments they use. You know which ones are really silly and maybe which ones could trip you up. What do you think are the... I guess, what do you think are the biggest things they should be doing that they're not? If they want to defend Christianity, uh, is there any legitimate way for them to do it? Is there anything that you're like, yeah, I don't have a response to that one? <laughs> well, repeatedly through the book, I'll say, um, 
you should do what recognized apologists are doing if you're going to do it right. Um, and then I show how these apologists are, are defending the faith, and I also dismantle their arguments in the process. Uh, and I say, well, but if you were to follow their lead and they know how to do it, then they're not doing it right. And you should um, you know, come up with a better argument. You should realize this is faulty. And um, in some cases, I'll just say flat out that you know this is a, an intractable problem that you won't be able to solve. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I, I want to teach them uh, errors to avoid. Okay, that's one sense of what I'm doing. It's you know they need to know. Well, if I'm going to be a, a good Christian apologist, then um, let me have a good sparring op- op- opponent. And um, that sparring opponent won't let me get away with any fluff. Won't let me get away with saying things that are flat out wrong or contradictory. And but I'm that opponent. Uh, at least I, you know, I want to appear that way in the book, so that they can test their ideas out of me. And I'm trying to show them that those ideas aren't going to fly. What <laughs> so. What are the biggest arguments that Christians make that just make you go, "Really, you're using that one?" Like, what are the dumbest arguments that legitimate? Like apologists really do use. Yeah, well, the one that I, I call asinine. Yeah, <laughs> that does does bother me the most is this idea that as an atheist I can't uh, use um, an argument against you know faith in God from the problem of suffering without a moral standard to do so. You know, who am I to to say that this um, problem, the problem of evil? Uh, undercuts the belief in a good God when I don't have a standard myself. <laughs> you can't say or, the Holocaust was bad because where are you judging yeah. what's bad from? Yeah, that's the most asinine one because uh, I, the, the argument speaks for itself. It doesn't matter who makes the argument. You know, you could be a, um, a you could follow um, voodoo, you could be a Hindu, you know, you could be any sort of belief system you want, and you can still ask for the internal consistency of someone who says they believe in a um, perfectly good, uh, all-powerful, and um, all-knowing being. And it doesn't matter what the belief is of the guy making that argument. The argument speaks for itself, and that's why I call it asinine. Now, we do have a problem, you know, uh, with morality, and we can answer that problem, but they, what, what we're doing is we're just saying, well, here's a problem for you. Don't skirt it by throwing it back on us. Um, deal with it. So you're essentially saying, look, here's the in your book, you're saying, here's the argument you make. I already have a response to that. All atheists have this response to it. So don't make that argument because I'm already giving you my rebuttal right away. Do something better than that is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I do that in part two and part three of the book. Um, like chapter titles for part two are, are these. Uh, you must specialize in special pleading. <laughs> uh, Spe- say that again. Variety. Specialize you know, in special what? You, you must specialize in special pleading. That's you know, mm. like um, pleading a special case for your faith uh, rather than um, treating all faiths, you know, from the same standards. Yes. Just ca- calling having double standards. Another chapter is you must punch to possibilities. <laughs> uh, another one is you must gerrymander for God. What does that mean? Um, another one that you must gerrymander for God. Uh, that's what politicians do. Right. They redistrict, uh, you know, states to uh, get the, you know, 
their representatives, you know. In right. Congress. This is an entirely Republican con- uh, district, even <laughs> though it looks like the weirdest shape you've ever seen. How does that exactly. apply to God? And those chapters, you must master the art of mischaracterization. And the final one in part two is when all else fails, lie. <laughs> Wait, explain to me again. How does the gerrymandering for God work? What exactly are they doing? Oh, uh, well, things like uh, defining a problem away. Um, like, um, they will spend a lot of time in what I call definitional apologetics. And they will require us to have a definition of an extraordinary claim. Well, what is an extraordinary claim? And uh, let's define that. Oh, no, you know, no, this, this, um. So they're basically you know, rewriting the rules to benefit them and try to trip exactly. you up. And that's not really fair. It, and what I do, what I like to do is I like to focus on concrete examples like a virgin birth, you know, or uh, a levitating um, uh, uh, person um, or um, a resurrection from the dead or, you know, turning um, water into wine. I like to talk in terms of concrete examples rather than get lost into the uh, morass of those definitions because it keeps us out of that. And we're talking about, now, how do you know that somebody rose from the dead? You know, let's, let's discuss the evidence for that, especially in the ancient past. So they gerrymander like that, and in other ways as well. Are there arguments? The of, yeah, please. Yeah, but the first part of the book um, really offers some good, sincere advice. And uh, I start off by uh, telling them to, um, to understand what they're getting into. And so one of the first chapters is simply... Here are some of the most uh, important arguments you're going to have to deal with as an apologist, like uh, you know, science of evolution, um, when it comes to Adam and Eve and the implications for that, the uh, um, science of neurology and the, um, the you know the, the idea that's uh, becoming solidified every year that we don't we don't have any free will, you know, and that's that really hinges on whether you can be saved from sin based on a free will choice, you know. So I talk about those kind of problems like, just to like boot camp, if you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. Here's what you have to get in. Here's what you have to, you know, figure out sometime. And I just throw it all at them, like the, and the kitchen sink. <laughs> so in an ideal, if you were in an ideal debate, what arguments or types of arguments would your opponent be making for Christianity where you're like, yes, this is the conversation we should be having? Well, they, um, they have all kinds of tricks up their sleeve, and it's hard to know which one to to call up, you know, to uh, to mention here, but they like to say that the uh, idea of uh, the resurrection of Jesus is a special case, deserving special treatment out of the many ancient miracles that um, were claimed to have been, you know, performed by magic men, and uh, they want to say that um, we have to treat that with, uh, you know, different uh, with different standards. Like, um, let's not take the total trustworthiness of the Bible in mind, let's just focus on the fact that, oh, people say that um, he died on the cross, you know, people say that, um, you know, he rose from the dead, and people say that they saw him afterwards. Let's just, let's just isolate those things out of the mix, and let's try to explain those facts. And then they try to explain them by the resurrection when um, we're not even there yet. I mean, we're, <laughs> I want to call into question the total trustworthiness of the Bible. I, I think that factors into what we're going to believe out of the Bible itself, and they want to exclude the total trustworthiness of the Bible and uh, 
you know, beliefs like demons and, and inhabiting pigs and uh, axe heads that float. You know, those are clearly relevant to the case for the resurrection and whether or not um, Jesus rose from the dead. So, you know, they have lots of tricks up their sleeve, and I highlight those things and dismantle them you know, in the book. What do you think is the most effective argument you can use to, to get someone to abandon their faith? Well, um, I wrote a book on that. It's called The Outsider Test for Faith, and that is to treat your own faith the same as you reasonably treat the faiths that you reject. No double standards. You know, you um, you hear a story of uh, a magic man or, you know, a levitating guru or, um, you know, that, uh, that uh, Muhammad flew up to, um, you know, oh. in the heavens. On a winged yeah. horse or something, you On would just say, horse. that's ridiculous. <laughs> well, now apply that exactly. standard to your faith. Exactly. It's ridiculous. I mean, they need to, like, consider their own faith from the perspective of never having heard it before and see what they would get when they talk about a person who has a baby, you know, uh, a star that, uh, you know, pointed down to a single house, you know, uh, you know in Bethlehem. And this is an argument we've heard before. If you took away childhood indoctrination, if you if someone had no idea about Christian mythology and the first time they heard it was when they were like 35 years old and you were trying to tell them, let me tell you about a virgin birth. Let me tell you about Jesus who died and was crucified and then came back to life three days later. Oh, and by the way, he's going to come back later on. You would pretty much laugh it off. But we don't always we people don't do that because they're so used to those stories from birth. Exactly, and if they were then to test those stories, you know, the same way they were testing the other, the other stories, they would come away thinking, "Well, there's not enough evidence to believe that." And, and the only reason they, uh, you know, treat their own stories with uh, you know with more uh, weight to them is simply and only because. You know, they were raised to believe that way. So is that what did it for you? Uh, because, again, I, I mentioned at the introduction, you went to these Christian schools growing up. I mean, you studied under the apologists. What is it that made you change your mind? What? How, how old were you when you changed your mind? Oh, um, oh I was still around 40 years old, I think. Okay, uh, so what did it? Yeah. Well, uh conjunction of a lot of different things, uh, but um, but mainly yeah, I just studied the Bible. I mean, I, I uh, was trained in uh, Christian apologetics, and um, uh, when I decided to get serious about my faith, and, you know, I, what I never did is I never reevaluated my faith from my youth until then. And uh, so I, I argue that people who were raised to believe for once in their lives have got to just act like an adult and properly evaluate their faith, you know, from a skeptical viewpoint as an adult. Well, I did that at the age of 40. I don't know why it took me so long, but, you know, I just um, saw a lot of ugliness in the church and a lot of hypocrisy, and um, and I had studied with the liberals, so I knew of the liberals, just I had rejected their, their ideas as a conservative. It's just it was time to, you know, really— reached out of my faith, and when I did, and I studied the Bible, this time honestly, it's really hard to get that brain to treat the evidence uh, honestly. You're just so uh, brainwashed, indoctrinated, you know, to see it one way. I thought, well, let me just look at it as an outsider in a way, you know? 
And uh, I just couldn't uh, believe certain things. You know, like one thing that really stuck out on me was that um, it says that the uh, the sun, moon, and stars was created on the fourth day. <laughs> and I tried, I really tried to finagle around that. You know, because really the to... sun is a star, you mean? And they were no, treating it differently or because it, God created light on day one and then created the sun days later? Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. And that's what I tried to recon- you know, reconcile with my, with my faith, with science. And I just couldn't do it. And the, the only thing that made sense to me was that it's all myth. And so then I asked myself, well, what else is myth? And, well, what about a Samson and his, and his hair? You know, what about a sun standing still? What about uh, a man being swallowed by a fish or, or a universal flood? And I started examining them from the, from the perspective of an outsider, from the perspective of someone who wanted to believe. I had a vested interest in believing but wanted to be honest, too, about what I was reading. And one by one, like dominoes, they all fell. I mean, just one by one. You studied under William Lane Craig, and I wonder if, you know, what has your communication with him been like over the years since you deconverted? Well, he uh, he still has hopes for me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever debate that's, uh, him? That's what he's consistently told me, and uh, I find that really odd. You know that uh, as of now, I've published uh, seven seven books. I'm coming out with another one next year. And <laughs> I mean, if anybody is uh, blaspheming the the Holy Spirit, you know, um, it would be me. <laughs> so <laughs> he's got rec- he's got to reconcile that with his own text in Matthew that talks about that. Thing. Do you ever do debates um, against him? Uh, no, uh, I, yeah, I'd like to. Sure, sure. I, he's a really good debater, and uh, you know, I suppose he'll probably win. I mean, you know, technically. Uh, he seems to win a lot of them, and I expect it being different with me. But, but I would be. Um, Is that on his presentation, to... though? He's yeah, just a good yeah. speaker. He's a good debater. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. On his presentation, but um, you know, I think he pledges with the facts as well. You know, debater's job is to win, and when he's debate in debate mode, it's it's to win. And <laughs> I've caught him saying things that he shouldn't be, and some things that he ought to know better. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, he's just there to win. And, uh, but the thing is, if I could debate him, I think people would be uh, more acquainted with me and might get one of my books. And, um, and that's where I make my sustained case uh, against <laughs> Christianity. Who is the best Christian debater out there right now? Well, I think, I think probably it's Bill Craig. Okay. You know, I don't know of anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he studied, um, debate. Uh, doing debates in college, and I think even in high school, he was doing debates in high school. So he's always participated in those kind of tasks. Let me ask you, uh, shift gears for a second. Uh, I'm, it's very impressive how many books you've written, uh, lengthy books. And like these are not like kids' books. They go into a lot of depth in these fields. What is your process like for writing these books? Like, What do you do on a daily basis when you're writing? Oh, you should see my office. I got books strewn everywhere, and and magazine articles. Um, uh, it's a it's a mess as I'm writing. You don't really want to come in my office because uh, everything looks like a mess. But I know where everything is and why I got it, where I got it, and note cards abound. Uh, for instance, when it came to researching for the witch hunts, I would research into the best books, and I would get them and read them and and compile together the best of what I. When I read, and um, 
write it down and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it again. <laughs> so, um, and I can uh, do a pretty good job on uh, topics that I hadn't done a lot of research on before simply by, you know, the, the knowledge I have of which publishers are the good ones to, um, to get books and, and to read for research and uh, which authors are the best ones. And, and, uh, and I just write it out, you know, the way I've got it and write it again and write it again. I'm really passionate about this. As you know, yeah. I, um, I think that I've been given some things in life here and there's a lot of knowledge and, you know, uh, people say, well, why don't you just walk away and live life? And then, you know, maybe I will someday, <laughs> but, uh, for now, I've got a lot of knowledge that I want to share, and uh, otherwise, if I don't do that, then I'd be wasting what I know. And um, so, uh, I really do think that Christianity is a delusion. I think people are indoctrinated and or brainwashed to believe. I think it causes harm, and and I want to keep people away from it as best as possible. And I, I wish I could do it for other religions, but I just don't know them as well. It sounds. Uh, I'm just listening to your process. It sounds like you don't really rely on the internet any uh, that that much. It sounds like you're doing it old school. Here are the books I need, and I'll get my information from there. I mean, am I wrong on that? Is there a reason for that? No, no. I I did mention books because um, that that's where you get a sustained argument. I mean, uh, sound bites and, and paragraphs on uh, on a blog. You know, those are nice, and I do look at them. I do a lot of research online as well. I didn't. I just I just failed to mention that. That's all. Okay. But um, I, I like sustained arguments, uh, and from people who are knowledgeable and scholarly. Is this is just a a personal question? Because I, obviously, I spend so much of my time on my blog, and I know a lot of people like you who really put all their efforts into their books. I mean, that's where you're spending the bulk of your your time. Um, do you think there's a benefit or or a drawback to focusing on books in an age when it seems like a lot of younger people, a lot of people who uh, are religious or not, are almost moving away from books. Like, what are you doing to make sure your arguments are reaching maybe a different audience? Well, I'm doing interviews like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have an audience, and it's people who like books and maybe it's an older audience because of that and i understand that but uh, for anyone who wants to uh, to read what i write or edit uh, to put together in the anthology then they can in turn you know utilize that uh, in you know videos and on blog posts and quotes on facebook you know um so uh, i put i put it out there for people who want to know i do understand that you know, what you said, uh, people are doing more uh, YouTube and, um, and stuff like that. That's just. Uh, oh, and I'm not go saying ahead. I'm not saying you should like suddenly go on YouTube. That's a horrible idea. Right. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I know that. OK, <laughs> I know that. Which it's just that, uh, I, have, I have a niche. Yeah. And, um, when I'm done with it, I'm done with it. <laughs> Got it. What other yeah. uh, atheist authors do you tend to read? Which ones really inspire you? Which ones uh, are you like, I wish I could write like that person. I wish I could make an argument like that person. Oh, lots of them, actually. Um, but I did uh, dedicate this uh, book to four intellectual giants. And uh, in the front page there, uh, Hector Avalos. I love the man. He's a uh, one-man demolition team <laughs> when it comes to uh, all things Christian. He's, uh, he's a friend, and uh, you know, I love him, and I love what he does. I like Peter Bokosian. I, I like uh, his... Um, 
idea of uh, raising up a grassroots uh, atheist movement to help believers realize they're pretending to know what they don't know when they claim to know with 100% certainty that their faith is true. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and um, I uh, and Jerry Coyne, he's just amazing, the most knowledgeable scientist out there writing on a daily basis and just giving religious faith a beating at every turn. And David Eller, um, I think everybody ought to be reading Dave, David Eller's works. Just look him up on Amazon. He's just one of the most insightful atheists uh, out there. He ought to be, ought to be speaking at um, many, many uh, conferences and uh, workshops. Uh, he, his perspective is unique among most atheists. So th- those four, I single out. Um, all friends of mine and um, the best of the best, in my opinion. I don't want to get into anything controversial here, and I know this topic is controversial for some people, but all the names you mentioned and all the times I see Christian apologists debating, it's always men. And I'm just wondering, why Why is that? I mean, at least on the atheist side, how come I don't really see that many women doing what it is that you do, which is debunking these things? Because, you know, on the surface, it doesn't seem like there should be any reason on our side anyway. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of cases we could make for, you know, on the Christian side, here's their arguments for why women should be focusing on other things. But I, I don't get that. Is there a reason? Do you think that's changing? Are you familiar with women who are doing the sort of work you do? I don't, I don't know, but uh, I will tell you an experience I had with um, Louise Anthony. Uh, she is an atheist philosopher, and I had asked her to write a chapter for me on um, uh, Christianity is Not Great book. And, um, you know, I told her what I was looking for, and I think it was on morality. <clears throat> and she wrote me a long little email, and I mean, I thought it was pretty uh, generous of her to do that, as uh, much as I admire her, and I do. Um, she said... Uh, I'm more a feminist than I am a debunker. I think that was the, that's the essence of it. She's more. She was more interested in what religion does to to women, um, and so she focused on women's issues. She said, mm-hmm. you know, than in debunking or going after religion itself. And I thought found that insightful. And I don't know. Somebody ought to do a poll on that. What? How many other women feel the same? And I know that if I was a woman, I would be. Uh, pretty upset with um, with male, uh, male patriarchy and all on all of its aspects. But uh, so was, let me um, paraphrase what you're patriarchy. saying here. Tell me if I'm getting this right. You're basically saying that the argument that she made was that you know when she's studying the Bible and she wants to argue against the Bible, she's focused not on like an esoteric issue like morality or something, but really how it affects women specifically. Yeah, for her, the issue is. Um, Feminism, and you know, I, I respect that. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, she, she she didn't want to write anything specifically about religion because her writings were uh, going to be focused on um, you know feminism. Sure, you know, she was and, an uh, expert in kind of that particular niche of it, so that's what she wanted to focus on. Exactly, and you know, I don't know how many others think that way. I don't know uh, somebody should write something up to do a little research project on uh, on that. But um, one of the things I do. Uh, uh, in my books, is I'm trying to show that religion is bad precisely because and that's my top priority, I think. The thing I dislike most about religion is what it does to women. And mm-hmm. uh, if I can you know, debunk the religion, then the next thing that I think would should fall into place, and all of a sudden uh, they, the, these religionists, these former religionists, would all of a sudden see that women are valuable in and of themselves rather than you know, pieces of meat or chattel. Right. So, um, 
So I, I have a different tack, uh, you know, with when it comes to feminism, which which I am a feminist as much as a male can be. Um, but I do understand those who want to just attack, uh, you know, um, misogyny and, and sexism like uh, Louis well, Anthony and others. There's unfortunately plenty of material to work with for that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I had one more question for you, which is, you know, you wrote the two of the books that you wrote was, you know, why I rejected Christianity and also why I became an atheist. Why are those different books? It's <laughs> a self-published book and one uh, isn't. Uh, okay. Why I became an atheist, <laughs> second revision, is, uh, is a published book. Uh, I sent a copy to um, Paul Kurtz and, uh, of my self-published book. And he uh, emailed me back. Says I, I want to publish this, and so I will uh, always be grateful for him, and uh, him, him doing that for me because uh, he gave me my start. Sure. But uh, the why, why I became an atheist is the, the title that Prometheus and I worked out together for for that particular book, the one that was uh, previously self published, but then I added to it and added to it. So your personal case aside, do you think those are two different things, like why you would reject Christianity and why you would become an atheist? Are those two separate things, or are they just the, the same thing, differently focused? Good, good question. Uh, you know, for me, they're kind of the same thing. And the reason why is because once I rejected Christianity, I knew the standards for how I should evaluate a different religion. And and then I just, you know, you say, why didn't you become a Buddhist after that or something different? Why didn't you go to the other religions? Well, uh, I already rejected those religions. As a Christian, I rejected all other religions but Christianity. I had reasons why I rejected them, and many of those reasons were simply because they lacked evidence or, or they caused harm. And so then, having already come to that conclusion— when I rejected Christianity, well, then I didn't have anything else to, to believe at that point. And, uh, and I found that those other religions were doubly faulty for uh, the standards that I um, you know, put up to measure Christianity with. So it's, in a way, it's one of the same thing, because the reasons you use to reject Christianity are going to be the same reasons you use to reject all other religions, because they're all faith-based you know, um, religions. Makes a lot of sense. Um, well, I will have a link to your new book, How to Defend the Christian Faith, which is written for atheists and anyone who's interested in uh, trying to debate it from a Christian perspective. We'll have that link below. Uh, John W. Loftus, thank you so much for uh, talking to me today. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois. The music was composed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at FriendlyAtheistPodcast at gmail.com. I'm Hemant Mehta, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.